Hey, Jeremy, what does the term burnout mean to you? Like, do you think you've ever felt burnt out or experienced burnout? I think I definitely have experienced burnout, although not necessarily maybe the first thing that comes to mind with people with professionally. Occasionally, I feel parental burnout. (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll get into that a bit in today's episode because I think burnout applies to everybody. I don't think anybody's immune. Didn't we way back when make our our first um, episode of this podcast was about burnout? It was just you and me. What what happened to that? Uh, to that yeah, that episode, is deep Jeremy? in the vault of nobody will ever hear that because that was <laughs> us trying to figure out if we could podcast. But yeah, the first one was on trying to figure out what our priorities were and understand our relationship to work. So, you know, there's a huge self-help section of books and blog posts and, and articles about this because it's on the forefront of a lot of people's mind, especially after the pandemic. Absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's 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 extremely relevant. It's be, it's been relevant for a long time. It even feels very very relevant now. So, I think we should talk about it. So, uh, let me give you a little bit of history about burnout. The term burnout was coined in the 1970s by a psychologist. This is a great name, Jeremy Herbert Freudenberger. Mm. That's kind of a name of destiny, right? I think sounds like he you know, uh, has that lunch breaks with uh, Dr. Mark, like Mitagessen. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that is. <laughs> Um, I think if you have Freud in your name, you probably are like destined to be a psychologist. Anyway, he described the consequences of severe stress and high demand of helping careers. Um, This initially addressed mainly medical professionals, um, but now it seems to encompass everyone. So sort of career helpers or even celebrities and domestic engineers. Again, nobody's immune to burnout. So the WHO acknowledges burnout as an occupational phenomenon and not necessarily a medical disease. Um, But it's, quote, a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. Love the passive voice there. (laughs) And there's three dimensions to this. Feelings of energy or depletion or exhaustion. So exhaustion is number one. Increased mental distance from one's job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to your job. So alienation. So exhaustion, alienation. And then reduced professional efficacy. So performance issues. So exhaustion, alienation, and performance issues. So the grand queen bee of this is Christina Maslach from UC Berkeley. She's a juggernaut in burnout research. And she created the... Maslach Burnout Inventory. It's a questionnaire that's used as a research tool to gather data in burnout in all professionals. So really, what's the million dollar question here? To me, it's how can we recognize if we're experiencing burnout and what the hell can we do about it? So to continue our series on resolutions today, let's talk about how we can take our own temperature when it comes to burnout so we don't get burned up. How can we make realistic resolutions and attainable goals? So fortunately, our guest today is a physician with a special interest in burnout to help us understand more. So let's do it, Jeremy. Let's go. Welcome to Your Doctor Friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions, and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right, and we're back. So, Jeremy, I would love to welcome Dr. Sapna Shahak. She's an MD and an MBA. 
Uh, a quick bio, uh, Dr. Shahak was born and raised in Kansas. She trained at KU. She's a board-certified internal medicine physician. She practices in Kansas. She's the host of the podcast, quote, The Worthy Physician, and she's the co-author of, quote, Thriving After Burnout, a compilation of real stories by female physicians. So, Dr. Shahak, thank you so much for being with us today. We're so excited. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, this is awesome to be here. So, You're a physician who's experienced burnout from a lot of different angles, personally or firsthand, you know, secondhand via colleagues and and folks you've worked with. And then also, I'm assuming, counseling patients that are experiencing burnout, too. So please just give us some insight on sort of your familiarity with burnout. Absolutely. So the first time I really faced burnout was in 2016. And looking back, it was I came home and I was incredibly irritable. I didn't want to talk to anybody, Um, really just wanted to, if I could just turn off my mind and as a physician, as anybody that's in a technical field, right, whether it be business or or engineering, it's hard to turn off your mind. So I would love to come home and just usually talk to my greyhounds or family, friends, whatever, (laughs) but I I didn't even want to do that. Um, It was more like, leave me the hell alone. I never got to the point of being... uh, depressed or suicidal or anything like that, but uh, personality changed. And, and it was really hard to, to really grapple with that. Mm-hmm. The first and the second time also come, came out as irritability, anger, short-tempered, mostly at home, you know, like when I could let my hair down. Um, but the, the second time it happened, it was um, after my best friend from medical school and residency died by suicide. Wow. Yeah. And so that really made me think, whoa, you know, is this what I'm going to be doing the rest of my life is going through a cycle of this. And we are in a society where we're graded on our performance. We're graded on how much we can crank out. But one thing that we don't realize is to get those results. We need that healthy lifestyle of connecting with human beings, getting rest, getting proper nutrition for the body, getting that work at, getting that self, that self time, that self care. So society teaches us how to be productive, but it does not teach us how to refill that cup. Mm-hmm. We know that um, more and more nods can affect women more than men because professional women come home and we do about 20 hours more than what our, what our counterparts do. My immediate knee-jerk reaction to that is obviously, I think Jeremy knows where my head's at here, is to think about mm-hmm. our friend Laura Danger and Eve Rodsky's fair play. The imbalances of domestic engineering at home in in a domestic partnership can be skewed one way or the other. Um, I think you're right that, that a lot of research has shown that it, it tends to skew in cishet couples towards the woman. Um, and I really would encourage people that are in domestic partnerships and managing a household at home um, looking into Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, I think it addresses these issues very clearly and making the the implicit explicit. And we sure do love explicit language here on this show. And I think you're you're touching on a really important point here is that, you know, this is thought of as a as a condition of w- the workplace. But after the eight or 12 or however many hours we're spending at work and then we come home, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's now our sanctuary where we get to just kind of relax and unwind and refill our cup. There might be six other cups that need filling before ours gets to be filled. So I I think you've touched on some really important points. And one I would like to come back to is as a physician, 
and in someone who is very interested and has special interest in burnout, how do you try to distinguish burnout from likely co-occurring mental disorders, namely depression? Honestly, my opinion is that it's a spectrum and that a lot of times they're going to coexist. So, um, you know, this can uh, show up as different symptoms, right? It can be irritability. It can be hypersomnia, which is uh, sleeping too much or insomnia is sleeping too little. It can be not finding pleasure in the, in the workplace anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you're working in that environment, it's very easy to go from burned out to burned up to depressed. Yeah. Well, and I think as depression hopefully has become less stigmatized, I think one of the things that I would observe is that sometimes burnout can be a way for people to admit that they're having some feelings or having some issues without saying that they're depressed. Yeah. Um, and again, I think you mentioned that they could be coexisting, but ultimately I think the take home message there is that there's a problem, right? And so, you know, you're not going to be sustainable with either of those conditions. And so you got to get you know, down to the root of what's going on. I think I would transition that to being a question for you, Sapna, is like when you were going through this back in 2016 or or even the second time, like how did you identify that it was burnout secondary to your profession versus anything else? You know, honestly, that that's the difficult part. I couldn't label it until 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all this is hindsight. But yeah. the first time I was going through it, um, and it's outline more in detail in the book, but the kind of walking through the lack of sleep, the uh, lack of ability to take time off without being paged or um, made to feel guilty about doing that. Or, you know, biggest thing was when my mom had her stroke back in 2016, that was just completely, it really effed up her retirement. You know, she went from being completely literate in multiple languages to can't even read or write her own name because of how big her stroke was. So when you take something like that and you mix it all in like a salad bowl, it's like, well, what the fuck do I do? Mm-hmm. Excuse the language, but you got to really take a step <laughs> back and say, well, shit, am I going to be a, a, a doctor? Am I going to, how can I fit all this into it? And the truth is I couldn't. So something had to give. And for that, it had to be my, um, my work circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, I like sleeping. I like doing other things outside of medicine. I like, you know, doctor, being a doctor does not define me. I define who I am. Mm-hmm. And I love other things outside of medicine, uh, like, like podcasting, like writing, like uh, photography and hiking. Yeah. But it, it didn't allow me to do that. So I had to change my work circumstances to where I was not on call all the time. Um, I've had a conversation. Well, your generation doesn't like to work. No, we like to work. But we also understand that there's more to life than just working. And um, we also know that we can't do everything right now just because we could does not mean that's the right thing. Yeah, I think we're having a bit more discussions about our own agency and our own boundaries. And I think that that's extremely healthy. And I love hearing and participating in these discussions even more and more about we don't now want to work. We want to have productive, uh, fulfilled lives and we want to be able to set boundaries. One of my special interests is true crime and particularly like cults. But like how culty of a mindset is this of like be sleep deprived, like, you know, feel guilty for not um, being productive to to the greater good, to the hive mind, you know, do the grind set. And how, like, how cult 101 is it 
to, to deprive like us from sleep and food and all of our basic necessities so that we, you know, become a little bit brainwashed by grind set. And I, I think we're there and, and it's happened for long enough. And I think a lot of people that are now in the what, you know, Jeremy and I have been saying the sophomore year of our careers are like, I don't want to do that anymore because I don't think it's sustainable. I think I'm going to lose my mind and not be a physician anymore or 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 worse, you know, so. I think we're touching on really, really important stuff here. Yeah, I, it sounds like you had a couple um, maybe perspective changing events happen over those period of years. And, and and I would say that maybe for a lot of people, that's maybe some of the, the pinnacle moments of when they realize that they're having issues is when they have perspective changing you know, moments. You said you mentioned your mom's stroke. You mentioned your friend uh, with suicide um, in addition to your own feelings. When you talk to people about burnout, um, whether it be through your public speaking or, or or with individual people, and maybe they haven't had some of these perspective changing moments, how how do you walk them through some of their symptoms or what they're feeling to get to the fact that maybe they're having burnout? So yeah, I'm that type of person. I'm incredibly stubborn. I'm going to do something until I get smacked in the face, and reality did that to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, life did that to me. And uh, Jeremy, I'm just going to say that you know if life doesn't do that to you, your body will, you know, whether it be um, chronic illness, whether it be um, you start having uh, health issues. So to the listeners, start looking at what your body is telling you. Mm -hmm. If you're starting to experience worsening of existing diseases or new onset of diseases, really look at not only diet, exercise, but sleep and stress. Really look at where you're at. Look at how you're feeling mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially. Those are what I call like kind of the five boxes. Take some time for yourself. That means five, 10, 15 minutes every couple of days. Um, for a parent, put yourself in a parent timeout. Remove yourself from those external stimuli. And really look at, okay, if I can't tell what I need, then that really should be a good check as to you need to start tuning into yourself. And that's going to look different for everybody. Um, for me, it was more meditation and going back to the mystics of the Catholic Church, just because, you know, that's what I was raised with. But um, I also incorporated Buddhist meditation. And for me, that really brought me back together um, in addition to Tai Chi and yoga. So really reconnecting with yourself is necessary. And if you yeah. don't like your narrative, figure out what you need to do to transition, to change. I feel like the the pandemic really led to a lot of people experiencing what you just kind of described. We live in hustle culture where we're all just going, 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 and what's the next thing? And then everything shut down. And then everybody had to sit with themselves and kind of think, wow, what? what was I doing? I feel different now that I'm not doing that. I feel better now that I'm not doing that. Look at all the things I can do. Look at how many interests I have. Mm -hmm. And so I think coming out of that, I think more and more we're hearing the term burnout, but I think it may be that people are starting to recognize that they've been burned out for a long time and just didn't have an opportunity to slow down and maybe identify it. 
in addition, I think you mentioned maybe the most, uh, you know, the biggest elephant in the room here, but, but money really is the driving force behind a lot of this, that, mm-hmm. that we kind of associate our jobs with money. And, and, and we like to think as physicians, we, we do it for more than just money. But at the end of the day, we get out of bed, we go to work because we need to make money and we need to do that to sustain our lives. But, you know, there's a, there's an awesome reframing of this in a, in a, in a famous book called Your Life or Your Money. Um, and, if you haven't read this book, it's an awesome book. It's written by Vicky Robin and Joe Dominguez. It's it, it's pretty old. It's been updated since that time. But the basic concept, there's a lot of concepts in it. But one of the biggest ones is that instead of currency being money, actually your life energy is the currency. Mm-hmm. And every time you do something or 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 go to work or, or or make money and then you go to spend money, really what you're spending is your life energy. And you really need to think to yourself, am I investing my life energy in the things that I want to be investing it in. Or another way of looking at it is if you're going to go buy, you know, a pair of shoes, you know, how many, how, how much do I make hourly? And am I willing to go to work that, that many hours to have that pair of shoes versus having experiences and things that matter to me? It hits on a lot of these things because I think money is the elephant in the room here. Yeah. And, and your time is finite. Money potentially for some situations could be. <laughs> I think you're, what, you're, what you're saying is like your life energy is also just the literal seconds that you have in your day that of your life. That is a finite amount. Uh, y- y- there's an end point to that. And I, 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 Sapna, I love what you touched on here about a reset. And, and I think that's why we wanted to have this as one of our resolutions, you know, theme of the podcast is I think a lot of people are looking for a reset and a lot of people have gotten a lot of perspective in the last few years when it comes to their careers about what is really important to me and sort of the, uh, what, what is it called when people are like quietly quitting, <laughs> like, like under quiet the radar. Quitting. Yeah, yeah, quiet right. quitting. Quiet quitting. And I, the one thing that also made me laugh was talking about how your body will tell you there are signs physically. And I think that that's a way that I've framed paying attention to our mental health that feels accessible to people. And mm-hmm. for some reason, and not to signal out people, but me also men, because I just also feel like we've, our society has not done a very good job at making mental health very accessible to a lot of men. Um, right. But it makes me think of the Sopranos. <laughs> And how much The Sopranos did for the world of mental health that like Tony Soprano, obviously a mob boss and a murderer, but we all loved him, had to go to a psychiatrist because he was just like passing out. And that was okay. It was okay to like show like, hey, Tony, this is a manifestation of your anxiety and your stress Mm -hmm. and your disease. And that's okay. Like you sometimes your body just says, nah, man. You need to stop. And I love, Sapna, what your point is, is that maybe we shouldn't wait until we drop to the floor to have an awareness of these symptoms and that they can be small and subtle. Um, But as they build, they can get to a point where you can't ignore them anymore because they will crescendo into something major. And that, that, that severity of what major means is a lot is, is different for different people and it can be scary and severe. So I think this is a great conversation. Yeah. Something measured, uh, mentioned the, um, you know, chronic illness or, or, or health issues that people can get related to, mental health and, mm-hmm. and our stress. And, and, and I think that that has, again, become something that's a little bit more, uh, or excuse me, less taboo to talk about that you yeah. may actually have illness secondary to, to, to these feelings. Um, and so I think that's really important. The one other thing I want to uh, mention from my own anecdotal experience before I ask you another question, Sapna, is I've learned a lot from my own patients, um, who have spent their entire lives, um, you know, basically trying to work hard and save money and do the things they need to do so that when they can quote retire, they can go on and enjoy themselves. I see this like multiple times a day. 
And unfortunately, because they're seeing me in the office, that means that they have some, you know, orthopedic malady that's preventing them from doing what they want to do. And I just, I can hear it in their voices and I can see it in their faces that they're so frustrated that they've waited so long to have these experiences that they want to have and they can afford them, but they're now they can't do them because they can't walk up a hill that they used to be able to walk up because of their knee pain or, or, or whatnot. And it's, it's really had a huge effect on me to stop thinking about my own life as making enough money and saving up so that I can enjoy myself later, but rather enjoying myself now while I'm able-bodied and that it doesn't have to be one or the other. It just has been a huge learning from my own patients. No, I'd have to agree. Um, we're not promised tomorrow. So what can we do today? Yeah. The, the question I want to ask you, I, I think one of the, one of the things that stood out to me in our conversation so far is maybe the, the, um, privilege that the three of us and, and many people experience to maybe take a step back and have this conversation with ourselves and be able to say, maybe I want to do something else or work less or whatnot. And I, I think that there's a lot of people in this world who don't have that privilege, yeah. who, who, who have to take on maybe multiple jobs or, or certainly childcare responsibilities and things like that. And so in your experience, maybe how do we address things like burnout in people who clearly maybe don't have the privilege to take a step back or take the time off to look at it? I think that people in leadership mm -hmm. that oversee those individuals, if you want to look at the bottom line, the best way to improve your productivity and your profitability is to invest in people. Invest in your workers and don't look at them as cogs. Look at them as what do they need to succeed. And the ones that they're working several jobs, take five minutes every day, every other day, just for yourself and just know and give yourself that talk that you're awesome and that you're doing this for your family, you're doing this for yourself. And yeah, we have that privilege. If we want to transition out of medicine, we can find a way out. We can make that happen a lot faster than others can maybe find a way out of having to work two or three jobs to get the bills paid. I think um, you make a great point, Sapna, about, about the, these are systemic problems too. Yeah. I mean, they're systemic problems first. Yeah. Um, that, and, and I think, Jeremy, we, you know, we're kind of getting to the cycle or talking about get, breaking the cycle of poverty. And mm -hmm. burnout is a, is a, we're talking about it more and more because we have the privilege to talk about it more and more. And I think what we're all getting at here is in medicine and in, in many other, you know, high touch, high service, grind set careers, that the system is broken or it's at least not very sustainable. Um, and I think to me, the answer to some degree is to your question, Jeremy, is what do we say to the people is and and what do we say to all of us that maybe don't have the privilege is maybe we should invest in radical community building because we can't we're I think it's it, we've we've seen very clearly that we cannot survive and thrive on our own as little tiny islands that don't interact with each other. And so I think you know this is a bigger conversation to have, but I think in investing in our in in our in our communities and even just reaching out and creating community 
And I think that that's something that we learned through the pandemic is that th- that's what we're all really looking for is, is, is validation and acceptance and support from people that are going through the same shit that we are. And I, I think with the constant contact that we can have through even just utilizing the internet for good or utilizing the ability to reach out to people for good um, can make a huge difference. But I, I, I think this is a bigger conversation to have about how do we how do we put safety nets in place so that we aren't all just in survival mode all the time. Yeah, I I, I think that something made two really good points there. The first is obviously investing in people and and really just understanding that you know, for those listening who have privilege or have people working underneath you, that at the end of the day, the people who work underneath you are human beings and have family and have their own, you know, health uh, considerations. And that the, the the hustle culture and the lack of work-life balance has led to a lot of medical issues. And if you're really looking at the bottom line, a lot of times uh, your health insurance that you give to your, your, your employees can cost a lot of money. And if you have less illness uh, going around, you, you would cost you less. Um, but I think for the, for the person listening who doesn't have the privilege, um, you know, to take the time off or, or maybe doesn't have the ability to, to really shut down. I think you mentioned that the five minutes, and I think it goes back, Julie, again, to that unicorn space that we talk <laughs> mm-hmm. about from, from fair play method, but you know, I, I, it's very, very difficult, but if you can get a little bit of time to dedicate to yourself, whether it be, to meditate or to sew or to go for a bitchy walk or (laughs) anything you need to do where it's just about you. Um, and it doesn't have to be a lot of time. I think that's a really good place to start because the systemic issues can be overwhelming and, and, and we can't fix the systemic issues overnight, but we can maybe start with a small, you know, gradual way of trying to focus back on ourselves within the means that we have. So I think that those were two good points that I wanted to build off of. I love it. I wanted to go back to Christina Maslach uh, real quick because she, I listened to a YouTube video that was very quick and very punchy and super helpful in anticipation of, of this talk today. And she talked about six factors that contribute to, well, let's go back to like, bring this back to workplace burnout. Cause I think we can have a, a really heady 15 hour long discussion about how do we solve all of society's ills. Um, but coming back to Maslach's work, and I and I loved these six factors that are contributing because I think it ties all of this together. One is workload demands. So I, I wanted to make a point too of like the 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 three factors that are that come into play are the symptoms related to burnout. The last one is um, is physician or professional efficacy, and I feel like that's the one that we're yelled at the most. It's like, well, you're not getting your charts done, so. You're like, that's the first one that usually comes into play. It's not like, how are you feeling? Are you exhausted? Do you not give a shit about your job anymore? But it's, uh, are you meeting your bottom lines and your deadlines, which I think is such bullshit, but whatever. So workload demands, obviously, are the first one that she talked about, which is just like your, your literal day in, day out grind, your inbox, outbox. You know, that's, that's one thing. The second is your autonomy. How much control do you have over what you get to do day to day? Um, which I think is extremely important. And I, I want to go through these and then everybody can pick whatever their favorite one they want to talk about is or not, whatever you want to do. Um, the third was positive feedback or rewards. Are you actually being acknowledged for the work that you're doing? Are you getting positive feedback? Are you getting any feedback? Is anybody giving a shit about the work that you're doing? Um, I think as physicians, sometimes we sometimes are kind of our own bosses in a sense, other that, you know, of the systems that we work in or the hospital that we're associated with or the practice that we're in. But sometimes we're kind of the boss. So you you don't get a lot of 
professional feedback sometimes. You know, there's not always somebody like a mentor telling you what their their recommendations would be. You know, we we go through medical school and we go through residency and we maybe go through fellowship and other advanced training and then you're done. Then you're out to sea on your own. And maybe no one's telling you that you're on the right course or, you know, like that can be very dysregulating and just kind of feeling adrift. So that was one that really spoke to me. The fourth would be the workplace community. Do you feel connected to the other people that you see day in, day out? Do you feel like you can, like, this is what um, water cooler talk is. This is what spilling the tea and having some fun bullshit time with people at work and having that community. Or maybe you all have a nice long mitagessen lunch together <laughs> or, or you, I don't know. Or like Jeremy and I try to do, we try to get together with our teams quarterly and just like go do something dumb or fun that isn't work. You know, um, the fifth one is is fairness. Do you feel like you are not being penalized for no good reason or if or, you know, are other people around you being penalized for no reason? Is there a, um, a culture of fairness and equity in where you work? Do you? Do you see that? And if you're not, you're going to be more likely to be like, I don't give a shit about this. And then the final one, which is kind of wrapping everything up, the sixth one was respect for and, and, and your ability to personally adhere to your own values. Does what you do not keep you up at night? Does the way that you have to manage your life and your job adhere to your personal values. And I just thought that she she wrapped this up beautifully. I'll probably put that link. It was like a four minute long video to Dr. Maslach in the show notes because I just thought it was very pithy and helpful. You going through those things made me think about not necessarily physicians, but everyday workers. I happen to be married to somebody who is not in medicine. And I just was thinking about Zoom meetings and work from home and trying to balance life and work. Um, and, and one of the things that really stood out to me and has stood out to me for a while is the concept of meetings, right? Yeah. And just like, I think it's been pretty well established at this point that we think that we have an issue with meetings, but Zoom meetings have obviously changed that even more. You know, there was a really interesting uh, article I read uh, by the Harvard Business Review that looked at, you know, like stop the meeting madness. And it talked about <laughs> things like, you know, they talked to senior managers and I'll read a couple stats from that because I pulled it up, but it said 65% of uh, these 182 senior managers um, from a range of industries said that meetings keep them from completing their own work. 71% said meetings are unproductive and inefficient. 64% meetings come at the expense of deep thinking and 62% said meetings miss opportunities to bring the team closer together. And my own personal addition to that is I always feel like what I see is meetings to talk about what you're going to talk about at the next meeting. Yeah. It's just like meetings to talk about meetings to then have a meeting about the meeting. And then what happens is, as people sign off from their day of work where they were meeting after meeting after meeting and guess what they have to do when they sign off, All they actually work. have to do their work. work. Yeah. This could have and been an so, email. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or, or, and then we talked about that too, right? Julie about in our, in our episode with Dr. Mark about how the email itself, like sending a, an email every time you have a thought to somebody interrupts their train of thought and they have to go off and do something instead of, you know, at the end of the day, you could have sent an email or middle of the day, you could have sent one email with a summary of a bunch of the things that you needed. And it could have led to that person being more productive and, and, and we're not being intentional enough in our own actions about, should we schedule this meeting? What is the intention of this meeting? Does it need to be an hour meeting? Do I need all of these people? 
people at this meeting? Do I need to make it a 15 minute thing? Can it be just a situation where we have a quick phone call? Can I send an email at the end of the day with everything I need for the person to do the next day and intentionally say, don't do this till tomorrow? Or is it a situation where I'm going to send individual emails with individual things that I want that's going to interrupt somebody's kind of attention and productivity? So that's my little rant on meetings. But that's where you, that's where you took me with that conversation. I'd be interested to hear what Sufton was thinking. Real quick, though, the meeting maker is the one who is utilizing it as an act of control, right? If you're the one setting the meeting, is it just because like you feel like you don't have a great amount of control in your life? And so it's like, I'm going to make this meeting that everybody is forced to come to. Yeah, no, I don't know if I I don't know if I agree with that, Julie. I think the biggest thing that I noticed from meeting makers is that it's the only way to measure managers. So as you start to become higher and higher up the the totem pole where you're not doing the daily work where somebody can check on you and say, look at all the stuff you're doing. The only way for someone to prove that they're doing their work is to have meetings. And again, that's a systematic problem where you're like, you don't actually have to prove that you're doing your job when you're managing. You're just trying to help the people below you. But that that's what I noticed personally. Sapna, what did you what came to mind when Julie went through all that stuff for you? The one that really spoke to me is like workplace community, because I work in a place where um yeah, I love everybody I work with and I can go in and shut the door and vent to any of my coworkers or the office manager. We, we fortunately work in an industry where we never really went remote. It's kind of hard to have. A, sometimes I wish I could have a remote day. Um, but for the most part, like our, our workplace community is maintained because in, in medicine, we all have to be around each other to physically be helping people. But I think a lot of people do struggle with that workplace community now just because, again, it has been changed so much through the pandemic of, I mean, there's people being hired and, and leaving a job without ever actually physically face-to-face meeting the people that they actually work with. Yeah. And again, I, I think that that has allowed for some amazingly positive things where we're having people communicate and get together and work across the country in ways that we never could before. But in addition, it has really come at the expense of you know, actually having human connection and the productivity or the creativity, I should say, that comes along with with actually being together. Um, so that's what I've noticed. You do some speaking uh, engagements or people will ask you to speak on burnout. Um, Sapna, maybe when you go into these these speaking engagements that you're going to do, what, what are some of the goals you try to get across? Like you're sitting down to make your, your talk. Like what are you really trying to hit on for people? Sure. So burnout is real. We are all humans. We are all at risk know where you're at in this whole scheme of things. Because again, you, you, one would think, gosh, these things are so easy to realize, but the truth is it's not. I mean, again, going back to the hustle culture and being on that wheel, um, you know, it took me several years to really label what I was feeling. And um, when I talk to others, it's, they've had the same thing. And you're talking about individuals that have not, not just been in medicine, but corporate America, et cetera. Some, I mean, incredibly intelligent, very high achieving people. So it's not all, um, it's not just going to say here, this is burnout. You were burned out. So um, I go through what it looked like for me and why I now care about it. I believe that burnout contributes to 400 physicians a year taking their own lives, which is the reason why I became passionate about it after my friend's suicide. But this is something that affects everybody. So really start to look at where are you on this scale? Um, are you in the middle of burnout? Are you already past burnt out and you're burnt up and you're into depression and substance abuse? Or are you back here kind of thinking about 
gosh, maybe this is not what I thought my life would be when I'm 40 or 35 or 30. Yeah. I, I think you, you touched on a great thing there because burnout, like many mental health issues, is a problem that thrives in the dark. It thrives in isolation. And the more that we isolate and the more that we don't reach out to each other to to vent and go on your bitchy walk and go and, and reach out to your partner or your colleague or your coworker or your friend or your your podcast co-host, um, that it just sits and it festers and it can turn into things that are less manageable. So I think it, what it comes down to is we have to support each other and try to reduce the isolation that burnout can cause by by creating that community. And I think Jeremy, you had a good point. Communication is not community. You can communicate all you want. You can send an email, but that's not building community. And I think that's really how we're going to combat this. You know, lastly, I want to wrap up because I want, I want something. I want you to tell us about your podcast, The Worthy Physician. Give us a primer. Sure. So it is not just for uh, healthcare workers or physicians. It is for everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm focusing on bringing physicians, but also non-physicians, um, psychologists, um, financial advisors, things like that on the podcast, because we all either, we all get up in the morning, right? We all put one foot in front of the other. We put ourselves out there, whether it be in education and business in medicine or as a domestic engineer. And so I believe that every story has something that you can learn and maybe a takeaway. Maybe it's just one or two pearls. And maybe that pearl is, Hey, I'm not the only one alone. That is, in the middle of the country trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to be when I grow up, right? We want everybody to have their lives figured out by 18 or 25, and that's just a freaking joke. I'm I'm 40, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, you know? I mean, the, the question is, um, it is not so much what's the next thing, but is this the right fit? Is this what I want my life to be? And is this the way I want to bring up my kids? Is this the way I want to – are these the values I want to instill in them? So looking at that – I have to make sure that not only do I show up as a physician, but I also show up as a mom, I also show up as, you know, um, the coworker, the neighbor, the, the, the adult daughter. So there are multiple hats that we wear. How do we balance that? And for each person, it's going to be different, you know, it's going to be different. But also the themes that we talk about, drawing boundaries, knowing your worth, being able to say no, um, changing your narrative, mm-hmm. just all those tips and tricks that really combat hustle culture, really combat um, the way society has said, this is the way you're supposed to live. To build on that real quick, uh, Sapna, if we gave people some, you know, a few things, I think through the podcast of things they can do if they're starting to feel this, maybe first, you know, identifying or, or even just being aware of the, of the symptoms of it. But secondly, we talked about maybe finding, you know, like a little bit of personal time to try to reestablish and, and whatnot. But do you have any other sort of... Um, recommendations for someone who basically maybe they're listening to this podcast and like, you know what, maybe I'm experiencing burnout, maybe like what they should do next. Like they don't have any resources. They don't really know what to do next. Do they, should they go look somewhere on the internet? Should they talk to somebody specifically? Like what, what would you tell that person to do next? Sure. So number one, if anybody is ever having any thoughts of homicide or suicide, 911, that's a medical emergency, right? So I'm just putting that out there. Um, There's also a crisis line 988 that is put out by the FCC. And then if somebody just wants help, get in and talk to your doctor, your primary care physician. We are very well versed in uh, trying to triage that. So 
I would say talk to your doctor. If you don't have a doctor, get one. Um, you can also, there are multiple online platforms such as betterhelp.com, talkspace.com. Um, and then you can always try to find a therapist that, you know, within your area. I love the resource of the, of NAMI. That's what our own personal, uh, your doctor friends, therapist, Rose Mativier recommends the national Alliance on mental illness, NAMI. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's particular chapters for most of the major cities. I know there's NAMI Chicago, but NAMI, um, I can't remember if it's .com or .org, but I'll put it in the show notes. I absolutely love NAMI. And I think those are great resources to have people reach out to as a, as a small step in the right direction. Sapna, I, I love that. One other thing, Julie, and I'm going to lead you into your wrap up here because it, you wrote something that, that you're mm-hmm. going to read to the to the the listener, but it really is is something that I don't know if we touched a lot on and something just brought it up was like the ability to say no. Yeah. And I think it took me, I'm still working on it, but it took yeah. me years to understand that like every yes prevents a future yes, mm-hmm. you know? Like I committing to something is actually decommitting from something else. And so really looking at every yes that you say to somebody and understanding is how is this serving me? How is this bringing me either closer to what I want or bringing me joy or making me the person that I want to be or making my family, you know, what I want to be is, is really important. And, and, and I've learned more and more medicine does a terrible job of teaching us how to say no. You know, medicine teaches us to say yes through medical school and residency and and all those things, because that's the job is you have to impress everybody to get to the next level. And I don't think that that is specific to medicine. I think that happens in all jobs. Mm -hmm. I think you just become a yes person because that's the way you climb the ladder. But at the end of the day, like you have to learn to start to say no in ways that, that, that allow you to have your own, own life. So I I, I think you're going to wrap up with something like that, but I thought that that was really, really important to hit on um, for that. Me too. I'm so excited. So guys, no can be beautiful. Listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Mm-hmm.